Today, we're going to be looking at the next part of our series in the Apostles' Creed. And the focus this morning is going to be on the Holy Spirit. And it's a really interesting topic. And I confess I'm going to cheat a little bit in the beginning because it's such a huge subject. They can encapsulate so much. And I've only got about 15 or 20 minutes here with you. So we're going to watch a short video, which I think will set the scene. Jake, is that going to work? Brilliant. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That, too, is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, 
The spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. There you go. I said it was cheating. Four minutes, 30 seconds. A picture says a thousand words. There's the sermon done. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting, isn't it? And I wonder if I said to you, maybe just have a think about this for a moment. The Holy Spirit is. It's a funny question, isn't it? It it was one that I, I was at a church service at a different church the other week. And the lass who was leading the worship, she was doing some prayers beforehand. And she was at the front and she said, and the Holy Spirit is, she could sort of see her floundering. And I was like, I'm with you, sister. I'm preaching on this in a week. (laughs) I'm learning from you. What are you going to say? And she did. She recovered it really well. But it is a, a funny question. We hear about the Holy Spirit in church so much. And what I want to do this morning, because we have got short time is to focus on three misconceptions that there are about the Holy Spirit and then go into a little bit about the application of what that means for us today. And the first misconception that I want to try and dispel with us this morning, we actually saw it in that video, and that is sort of this notion that the Holy Spirit is some sort of ethereal force that goes around zipping and zapping and transforming people because that's not what it is. It's not this sort of little orange shadow of light that flies around everywhere. And I think a lot of perhaps the damage that has been caused has been done through things like Hollywood and Disney, that we build up this picture of spirit in our head and we try to put our parameters and our understanding of spirit to it. But to be fair, even in the video, it's a hard concept to physically put, illustrate on the screen, let alone in words. Because the Holy Spirit, as we learn in scripture, is a person. And this person is every way with God the Father, God the Son. And the Holy Spirit is the third person in the single completed trinity. That scripture that Barry read from us in John. I'll just say it again. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, in true Jesus style, this isn't particularly straightforward, but what Jesus does use here is what we have translated into being the third person pronoun in his description. He uses a preposition. This person Jesus talks about here is someone who is known and living. And that gives us a slightly different image as to what we saw on that screen again. And this is the second misconception that I want to dispel. 
that the Holy Spirit is not as important as God or Jesus. And there's very good reason for this. The common imagery often associated with the Holy Spirit is wind. Did you notice this morning that when we sang consuming fire, come like a rushing wind, that was a reference to the Holy Spirit. We use it in church all the time. And this imagery comes from verses such as in Acts around Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is described as the sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven. In the video, we heard about breath or ruach. And when we look into the Hebrew scriptures, they actually had two words to describe breath. There was the word neshima, excuse me those of you that have been doing Hebrew or no Hebrew, and that is just the word for sort of light breathing, what we do every day, that sort of, it's just gentle and it's flowing. But then there's ruach sort of breathing. And when we look at the Holy Spirit in scripture, it's always ruach, it's noisy, it's powerful, it's energy. And we don't get this sense in Acts so much, but when we look at the link between this ruach breath and other verses in scripture, we get an idea of just what the Holy Spirit is capable of. For instance, did you know that it was the Holy Spirit that parted the seas that would save the Israelites? Exodus 15 verses 8, the waters were lifted up by your breath. The flowing waters stood up like a wall. The waters became hard in the middle of the sea. And if that doesn't give you some sort of idea of the power of the Holy Spirit, then the role the Holy Spirit took in the resurrection is immeasurable because it was the Spirit that raised Christ. Romans 8 reads, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit lives in you. And this is where I want to sort of come back to that myth that the Holy Spirit is sort of some Christian bolt-on, an addition to God and Jesus, that it's perhaps the lesser of the three. That is absolutely not the case. The Holy Spirit is a person who is capable of parting seas, of raising Jesus to life. And because of that, I want to encourage you to go back to your Bibles, start at the beginning of Genesis, where it was there before creation, and follow it through, and I promise you that you won't be disappointed. But let's hop back to John 14 again and tease out another aspect of the Holy Spirit. It says that, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now this is Christ speaking before his resurrection about his existence after it. I will come to you. You see, the Holy Spirit is the life of Jesus continued beyond the bounds of the flesh. The life of You see, in Jesus, God's self-giving in Jesus and Jesus' self-giving on the cross was a once and for all gift. It could never be repeated again. But our loving God wants to keep 
on giving. I will not leave you as orphans. God never wants to be without us again. Matthew, we read that lovely verse. I will be with you always to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is God's continuation and his presence here on earth. He dwelt amongst us as Christ, but he lives amongst us as the Holy Spirit. And what I hope we've built up now is this image that is now far from that bolt-on, zippy, zappy spirit light into a beautiful, loving person who will be with us to the end of the age. Have you ever considered that the Holy Spirit loves you? And you see, when we pray in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, which is the line that we're looking at today. In this declaration, it's like holding out our hands and collecting this gift. Because the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's a continuation. It's God's wanting to keep on giving. Let's have a little look at this um, in some of the stories in the Bible. In Acts, Paul was traveling through the hill country and came across some followers to which he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you put your trust in Christ? And they said, no, we've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I wonder, what was it that made Paul ask that question? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because in the verse, it's sort of, he's, he's walking along and he's on his travels and he comes across this sort of, group of followers and they're sat down and they're worshipping and they're praying and they're doing everything that you would expect Christians to do. So why would he doubt them? Why would he ask that question? It's a bit like us today, seeing someone walking out of Tesco's with a bag of shopping in their hands and saying, excuse me, did you pay for that shopping? If they were doing it, you just assume that that was what they'd done. They'd completed everything. But perhaps Paul saw something different in their fellowship. And he noticed that although they were followers, there was something missing. And this is not a standalone occurrence in scripture. Simon the sorcerer in Acts also noticed that there was a difference between those who had the Holy Spirit and those who didn't. When Peter and John prayed for the Holy Spirit to come upon some new believers... Simon the sorcerer explained, give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. He sees something in other followers that he does not have and he wants it for himself. And Peter's rebuke of this is fierce. May your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You see, there's a difference between having knowledge of the Holy Spirit and accepting the gift that you may have the Holy Spirit. Now let's just anchor this back into the creed for a moment. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe and trust. When you declare I believe in the Holy Spirit as part of the Apostles' Creed, 
Do you say it for the sake of knowledge or because you have accepted the Holy Spirit as a gift and believe and trust in the Holy Spirit as part of that creed? You see, the Holy Spirit is the life of Jesus continued beyond the bounds of the flesh. You get the Holy Spirit when you acknowledge and believe that Christ died on the cross and was resurrected. When you accept that and say yes, even if this yes is as small as a mustard seed, it's like the doors to your heart open. You are open to Christ and Jesus can finally come in. It's like you, you know, you've got your heart here. And so many people go around and say, no, there is, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. It's not for me. Or, you know, there might be a God, but it's not for me. You know, that's for other people. And the moment you say, yeah, Jesus, I really need you. It's like the doors open. And by accepting the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's like Jesus, now come into my life and be with me. And it comes full circle because what you've done by doing that and inviting Jesus in, you've brought another person into your life. A friend, a helper, a counsellor who will love you and be with you. And where you were once like that to Christ, you've got this partnership with the Holy Spirit inside you now. And one of my favourite examples of this partnership with the Holy Spirit is when Paul and Silas in Acts 16 are on their way to Bithynia on their travels. And they're walking along, you know, they're trying to discern and work out where to go next on their missions. And scripture says, but when they came to the border of Mycenae, or they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. They felt this gentle pressure as if Jesus stood beside them. And so they decided to turn and not go in that direction. One of the questions I'm also asked is, how do you know if you've got the Holy Spirit? How can, you know, how do you hear? But in this example, what we see is that what they felt was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's character, a character which is known. It's the character of Jesus guiding them. And if this character of Jesus is living in us, then it's not surprising that the fruits of the Spirit are Oh, I had to write them all down. That youth service that we had was brilliant. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do we think of anybody else that had all of those personality traits? Jesus did. And if the character of Jesus is living in us, then it's not surprising that the gifts of the Spirit are things like the gift of healing or the gift of knowledge. But if we seek the Spirit for our own benefit, just like Simon the sorcerer, who presumably saw all of these things and just wanted them for himself, we've already started from the wrong perspective. Because the Holy Spirit is with us that we might better serve others. I said we were going to go through some misconceptions on the Holy Spirit. And this is the third one that I want to try and dispel. That the Holy Spirit is a gift for the receiving person to keep. Because it's not. The Holy Spirit is given that it might be given out. 
Let me just explain this a bit more. If we look at love, love is no good unless it's given. And peace is pointless unless it's put into practice. Kindness is hollow unless it's offered. Goodness is futile unless it's passed on. And the gift of healing is not for me, it's for someone else who might be sick. And the gift of knowledge is not for me, it's to break down the ignorance in the world. As Christians, we're called to be Christ-like. But God knows that for us, this is impossible. It's so difficult. But the miracle of the Holy Spirit is that it enables us to continue the work that Christ started over 2,000 years ago. It's our helper. And with the Holy Spirit, we have a gift that enables us to live a life with Jesus today, enabled to do things far beyond our own reach. And that was why I started with the two previous misconceptions, one of them being that the Holy Spirit is not powerful, always more insignificant than the others. Because we live with a power that besides creating from nothing or parting seas, can tear through conflict, create breakthrough in stalemates, heal the crippled, enable forgiveness, and shed light on new situations that only a divine power could. I'm going to use my hand illustration again so you've got the gift of the Holy Spirit in this partnership and the Jesus, the Holy Spirit bit in that is wanting to go out from you and to give to others. And the Holy Spirit helps us to live our lives out as Jesus would have us live them. And it's here that we really see the significance of being a new creation Under the Spirit's influence, endowed with the gifts of the Spirit, a Christian may be so different to the person that they were before they accepted the gift that they are unrecognizable or a new creation, born again with the Spirit of Christ. God is love. Jesus is love. The Holy Spirit, amongst other things, is love. And to have the Holy Spirit is to be love. And love is powerful. But where there's love, there must also be suffering. And so every time we resist the Spirit's moving in us, every time we deny an expression of the Holy Spirit's promptings and say no, in whatever capacity that might be, we are no better than those who crucified Christ. Every time we give in to the flesh, every time we shun gentleness for fighting or kindness for malice, forgiveness or bitterness, or I don't know, perhaps chase careers and money against something where we know God is perhaps calling us to, the warning is not only for our own welfare, but so we not, do not grieve the Holy Spirit within us. So close is the relationship offered to us by God. So tender is it. It dwells inside our own beings. 
that just as Jesus was rejected and wounded, so we have the capacity to wound the Holy Spirit inside us. And let me give you an example. And this is not an example preaching (laughs) that I haven't done it because I'd be a hypocrite to stand up here and say I hadn't and don't continue to do so. But have you ever been in a situation of conflict, an argument maybe, and some offensive comment comes to mind? Someone says something to you and in quick retaliation, you just want to blurt something out. And you know that what you're about to blurt out is just retaliation. You know it's not Christ-like, you know it's not Christian, but you just go ahead and say it anyway out of spitefulness or justification. Well, that little prompt not to say it is like the Holy Spirit nudging you, as it did Peter and Silas on that road to Bithynia. And at that point, we have a choice to make in how we respond. More than often, I know I haven't been very good at responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in the past. We just ignore it and carry on regardless because we know better and we know what direction we want our lives to take or we know that that person really needs to hear that. But if the Holy Spirit is the powerful life of Jesus continued beyond the bounds of flesh, in that moment of retaliation and spitefulness, we also shun Jesus and this giving We hold it back. We make a decision not to carry on the work and teachings of Jesus in a world that so desperately needs a loving saviour revealed to them. And Paul writes in the Bible, grieve not the Holy Spirit. You can grieve only a person. And there's an important message here for us today. In the Hebrew Bible, we read that people shunned God when he tried to be with them. In the New Testament, people shunned Jesus when he walked with them. And in today's people, let us not shun the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And like I said at the beginning, we've just scratched the surface of the Holy Spirit. But if you forget everything else we've whizzed through today, and I do appreciate it has been a whiz through, please remember this. That when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he said, wait until you have the power and then you can go out and witness to the entire globe. The prayer of the apostles in that upper room as they waited for the Holy Spirit was not, Lord, help me, fill me with the Spirit. Their prayers were, Lord, we want to go to the ends of the earth and we cannot do that without your help and power. The Holy Spirit is the powerful life of Jesus continued beyond the bounds of the flesh, dwelling in us to transform and to help us to be the servant-hearted people and Christ-like. The Holy Spirit enables us to give that we might take Christ to the ends of the earth through truth and through our actions. So when we say the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, let's acknowledge this person with reverence 
and live like we really mean it.